Welcome to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church in Donaldson, Arkansas. What a good day for an afternoon service. I'm excited about it. I'm excited about all of you who decided to attend. And uh, we have several who were out today sick, and, I, and I, I had messages from some of them, and they were just absolutely crestfallen that they were not going to be able to be here. So know that those who are here are, are excited about it, but also those who really were not able to make it due to sickness who are really kind of upset about it. So I'm going to have to follow up with them and make sure that uh, they're okay and, and uh, hopefully have a good report for them. I had two thoughts on my mind before we bring Brother Luke up. And I just preached through the epistles of Peter and uh, at the first chapter of the second epistle of Peter, it starts by saying, Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained a like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That's a powerful statement right there. But the words I wanted to hone in on here that I feel particularly in this assembly today is the notion of a like precious faith. Now, the faith is precious. I don't think anybody here would deny the idea that, well, if the things we believe, the body of truth that is found in the Bible is not precious. But I don't think this text is really talking about, well, it's a precious faith. I think it's really emphasizing the fact that these are a people who regard it as precious. Not only is it precious, but these people who have this like precious faith, they're the people who say, I recognize it's precious. And that's something special in this world. If you're taking time out of your life right now to imbibe in a little bit of that like precious faith, maybe you're saying something, you're making somewhat of a statement about the fact that you believe it is precious as well, and it certainly is. Over in the first, or in the Gospel of Luke, first chapter, uh, there's another statement made that's kind of on my mind here. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us. Boy, if there's ever been a summary of gospel ministry right there, that's it. We want to declare what the Word of God says. It's a body of truth that is most surely believed among us. At least it should be. Maybe we don't always believe the things as we ought at all times, but what we find in the Word of God ought to be something that we can declare and say, this is most surely believed among us. Now, we believe the Lord has children of God all over this world, and not all of them are primitive Baptists. We get accused of saying it's us four and no more, and we don't believe that for a minute. If you spend any time listening to our preaching, you'd realize that's not what we believe. And yet, there is a sense in which the like precious faith, the truths of the Word of God where God does it all. The finished work of Christ. That is a like precious faith that is shared among us here, and it is something that is most surely believed among us. And I pray that Brother Luke is going to set some aspect of that for us today. I'm going to ask Mike Burnett to open us with a word of prayer, and then we'll have Brother Luke come up. Well, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Like I'm saying good uh, morning, but uh, good afternoon. Hope everybody had a uh, good week and. Uh, like I say, I guess uh, every Sunday at Macedonia, if uh, uh, if you read your Bible on a daily basis this past week, if you prayed, you, you had a good week. Amen. You couldn't have had a bad week, no matter what the circumstances are. Uh, uh, we uh, feel blessed to come over here and felt led to come over here. And I thank DJ Dan, that's what I call Brother Dan, DJ Dan. He, you know, he's a disc jockey now, and uh, I love uh, uh, Grace Alone, and uh, I encourage people everywhere, uh, all over the place, to download that on your phone, and rather than listen to uh, the buzz or listen to your political show of choice, get get a little spiritual something in the morning. Get a little something going. Amen. Uh, don't just wait to show up on Sunday and then just expect your cup just to run over. It doesn't work that way. It hadn't worked for me that way. If y'all got something figured out I don't, then share it. Right. 
but I don't believe it does. Well, uh, things most assuredly uh, believed among us. Uh, I've been hung up on election, and uh, I hope I always stay hung up on election. And whenever we all stop getting hung up on election, we've got a big problem. Uh, Election is the foundation of sound doctrine. It is the uh, bedrock of our beliefs. It's not the roof. It ain't the two-by-fours. It is the foundation. And without a uh, uh, grasp or an understanding of election, uh, you've got a house that's uh, built on black dirt and gum springs, Alan. Uh, Alan could tell you about it. We've been down there and... uh, uh, you build a house down there and uh, you think I'm going to go cheat and just put six inches of red clay down and pour you a three inch slab that thing's going to bust up in two years you're going to have windows bust out, doors that don't shut that's a soft foundation it cracks right. um, uh, it's amazing the money that they're spending down there on some of those jobs to uh, uh, provide and to build a firm foundation and uh, I'm going to tell you that the firm foundation for us and for y'all, and for, I believe, Primitive Baptists everywhere, is election. That is our firm foundation. Uh, you can ask the question, uh, uh, well, who is predestinated? The elect are. Uh, who, was, uh, uh, who was called? Who is called? Who will be called? The elect are. Uh, who is justified? The elect are. And who will be glorified? The elect are. Right. <laughs> it answers all the questions. Right. It doesn't leave anybody out. Uh, I know that y'all have heard it said, uh, when it comes to beliefs such as, uh, well, for example, what about salvation by works? Hold on before you answer yes or no. Are you saved by works? Sometimes, you know, I could say, uh, no, you know, God pre, you know, you're not saved by works at all. God's going to do what he wants to do. And, but then you could go to one extreme and say, no, you are saved eternally by your works. Okay. And I don't believe that. I know y'all don't believe that, but you see, you can go to one extreme or the other extreme on just about anything. You go to the extreme of, well, prayer is not effective. Or you go to the extreme and start praying for a million dollars and, you know, Maybe you'll get it, okay? You can go to extremes on everything. Uh, just like, okay, predestination. You can go to the extreme that God predestinated every single thing that's happened. Like He just wound up the world like a, a clock or a, a toy nutcracker and He just let it go and it's just going to do what it's going to do, okay? That's an extreme to me. Or you can say, well, God doesn't really predestinate anything. It's all just free will. Whatever happens, happens. Okay? Those are two extremes. The truth is right there in the middle. Okay? As far as predestination is concerned, I, I believe it just uh, uh, Romans 8 and verse 29 and uh, Ephesians 1 and uh, verse 5, it uh, refers to your image, body, soul, and spirit. Uh, God didn't predestinate you to be here today. Okay? Just like He didn't predestinate uh, somebody to have a flat tire on their car, okay? Or he didn't predestinate your cow to die. Or he didn't, you know, predestinate somebody to get sick, okay? When it comes to predestination, you've got to stay within the bounds of the Scripture, which I believe is the adoption of the body and being conformed to the image of his Son, soul, body, and spirit, all three combined. All right. Okay, but election. <laughs> you can... Uh, you can go to two extremes, but uh, with uh, predestination, with just about everything, with calling, with works. We know that faith without works is dead. I, was, I forgot about that when I was talking about works. Yeah. But election. There is no middle ground when it comes to election. There's not a, well, yes, you know, I believe in election, or, yeah, I believe in election, but I believe in like an election light. That uh, all those that are elect, God looked down through time and He saw that they would do that. That's not election. Right. Right. That's not election. Election is God's sovereign purpose in choosing His people in Christ, or it is not, before the foundation of the world. Election is all or nothing. It can't be a little bit of both. 
It's not possible. Um, there's not any middle ground. I'll put it this way. There are hard sayings in the Bible, and to me, election is one of those hard sayings to many. Now, I know that y'all rejoice in election, but hey, uh, if you're going to build a foundation, if you're going to build a house, don't you want it on something hard? Yeah. Don't you want it on something firm that you can stand on? Yeah. Or are you going to build it upon the sand out here? Are you going to build it upon the clay down there in the black dirt? I wouldn't want to. I want it on something hard. I want it on something firm. I want it on something you can stand on, rest on. Uh, it's amazing uh, uh, over at Macedonia when we remodeled uh, and they redid the interior. Uh, I was kind of expecting some of that old sheetrock underneath that old wood paneling to be all messed up and where the case be. No, it wasn't. It was perfect. And uh, Myron uh, said, man, that looks like it did, you know, 50 years ago when they put it up. Well, and some of y'all know this, but in that cemetery, I guess it's the northeast side, they had to use dynamite to blow up rock to put the graves in the ground. There's that much rock out there. There's just huge slabs of rock sticking up everywhere out there. In the summertime, it'll burn up, but I can guarantee you one thing. You're going to build a house or something like that, build it on a rock. Build it on the rock. (laughs) Our rock. Foundation. When I think about uh, election and how firm it is, uh, a foundation, maybe part of that I'm saying that is... uh, Second uh, Timothy two and verse nineteen. Nevertheless, the foundation of God uh, standeth sure, having this seal: the Lord knoweth them that are His. It is a foundation you have to stand on. How would Brother Dan feel if somebody came over here and said, or maybe a third or even half a Donaldson? Uh, heard a man preach that the resurrection is past already. There is no resurrection going forward. It's already happened. About half of them left. Yeah. Now that would hurt. Yeah. That would hurt you. But one thing that Brother Dan would not lose sleep about is whether those people are, whether y'all are going to heaven or hell. He wouldn't do it. Amen. Wouldn't do it. Because he understands election and believes it and rests on it. The questions of, you know, who is saved, you know, uh, it's the elect. It's almost, when you talk about election, it's almost so cut and dry, it sounds like you're simplifying everything. It's not simple, but it's straightforward. I'll put it that way. Okay? Who did Christ die for? The elect. Who shall be in heaven? The elect. All of them. Every single one of them. And I don't believe that's a small number. It's not a small number. If it's a small number, then you've got a small God. That's right. That's right. Amen. Genesis 24 and verse 60. It's one of my favorite verses in the Bible when it refers to this, or when you're talking about election, my belief. Uh, old Uncle Laban and company, and, and they blessed Rebekah and said unto her, uh, Thou art our sister. Be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gates of those which do hate them. The only time that millions is used in the Bible is in that verse. And I believe that's referring to the thousands of millions of elect of God chosen in Christ. A thousand million is a billion. Who can say what religion out there or what denomination can say we have saved a billion people? A fine one. There might be some who give it a crack. What about thousands of millions? That's billions and billions. Man can't ever touch that number. He's never been able to touch that number. No device of his will ever be able to. And I don't believe that's, you know, well anyway, we'll just keep going then. Election is a hard saying, but it's one that you have to accept. Right. You can't put God in a box, okay, as far as these are the people that are saved, these are people that are not. You're putting God in a box. We can't put God in a box, but He can put us in a box is the way I look at it. He can put us in a pine box if He sees fit too. All right? But we, we ain't putting Him in a box. You're not going to do it. Let's read a little bit. 
Romans 8 and verse 28. I remember when I first uh, really started trying to read my Bible, I thought, well, I'm going to write down... Uh, I'm going to write down all the places where election is. And I'm going to try to learn those things. I'm going to try to memorize some of those verses wherever election is. And predestination and some of these other things. But... And I started writing in front of my Bible, and pretty soon I just gave it up. <laughs> I, I had it right in front of me. <laughs> I didn't have to. Uh, you, if you're going to rewrite, write down everywhere that election's in the Bible, uh, just go buy your new Bible and you got it, okay? J- or just make a, a word-for-word copy of the Bible. All right, Romans 8 and verse 28. What are some of the names of the elect before we get started? My people. That's one of them, isn't it? His people. Sheep. Elect. Chosen. Given. What about Israel? Spiritual Israel. <laughs> the amazing thing about Israel... Uh, it's funny that in Romans 9 and verse 11, Jacob is used as a, uh, as a great illustration of election. Jacob is used. Who later becomes Israel. Okay? This is all... This isn't, it's not coincidence here. Jacob, when you look at Jacob and Esau, uh, I can tell you which one that I like better if it was up to me. It wouldn't be Jacob. He was a plain man, dwelling in tents, you know. Uh, Esau was a man of the field, a hunter. Uh, you know, if you're going to choose a seed, at least, you know, choose a manly man, right? Uh, don't choose a homebody who sits in a tent and cooks all day. Well, it's God's purpose, not mine, not yours. Uh, and, uh, and when you think about Jacob and his life... How many times he just basically just flat out lied? How many times he hoodwinked? You know, how many times he would uh, uh, be dishonest and try to finagle and work his will and what he wanted over what God told him would happen? It was his entire life until that night before he met Esau for uh, after the uh, incident with Isaac. And you read about Jacob, and, uh, and I've said this before and I'll say it again. When you read about Jacob, you feel like you're reading about yourself. Uh, you feel like you're reading uh, about your own life. But a few generations later, you have Jacob whose name changes to Israel. And then I think about the great picture of election as the, uh, another one is the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel itself, okay? That was a picture of election. God choosing a people out of the world, okay? And when they were down there in Egypt, well, think back to their beginnings. So you had Jacob, who was the father, and he had quite a few issues. Then you had his 12 sons, and they were 12 dandies, weren't they? (laughs) I mean, you had uh, Reuben, who uh, committed quite the uh, abominable act that shamed his father. I won't get into that. You can read it. Then you had Simeon and Levi, who uh, uh, took vengeance in their own hands and killed a uh, a bunch of innocent people that displeased Jacob. Then you had Judah, and uh, you want to read a little bit more about him? Read Genesis chapter 38. That'll tell you a little bit about Judah. You read the head of these 12 tribes and you're just thinking, man, these guys, they're, uh, they ain't that righteous. Right. What's so great about them? Right. That's right. What was so special about that people is that they were God's people. God loved them. They were His people. As far as some kind of intrinsic value in themselves, they had nothing. If you don't believe me, go back and read it. Go back and read it. That's right. Read about Judah almost killing his uh, daughter-in-law when he was the one that did her wrong in the first place. 
and uh, almost slaying his own children in her womb, her his own child in her womb. All right, some wicked stuff. But then you even get to uh, a, couple, uh, uh, a little bit farther along, and of course the 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 uh, ten good brothers uh, sold Joseph off down to Egypt. Now, that sounds a little bit like us and Jesus Christ, but nonetheless, right. keep moving forward. So then they get down to Egypt. Joseph dies. The Pharaoh that knew Joseph died. Jacob's dead. You want to talk about a, a people that uh, was anything but righteous. Read about them in Egypt. The more I read about it, the less I see Israelites, the more I see Egyptians. They were Egyptians. They dress like Egyptians. Um, Egypt was a, was a dark place spiritually. It was a dark place physically. Physically. Israel went down there, started worshiping the same gods they worshiped. Started serving their gods. Find any bit of faith or any kind of righteous work that those people did that God should save them and deliver them from Egypt. They moaned and complained the entire time. They dressed like Egyptians. They had the earrings. They had the necklaces. They had the tattoos. They had the skin color. They were a mixed multitude when they came up out of there. You say, well, that may, that's a little too far. It's for a reason. God is showing us a picture. Those people were Egyptians when He called them out of Egypt. The only thing, the only difference between the Israelites and the Egyptians was the difference that God put there. Exodus 13, I believe. The Lord doth put a difference between the Israelites and the Egyptians. So the Israelites... God put the difference between them and the Egyptians. The only one that I could find that had any kind of faith or any kind of righteousness was Moses out of the whole lot. What kind of great faith did the Israelites have? Remember what Moses had to do to convince them? He had to use his staff to turn it into a uh, snake. He had to use his hand, which was white with leprosy, and stick it in his coat and pull it back out. He had to fool them with signs to get them to come along. Does that sound like a great faithful people? A great believing people? A great people that deserve salvation? What happened after... Uh, uh, I mean, God smote Egypt with ten plagues. And it's interesting that... Uh, I think I said this last week, but that Pharaoh... Uh, slew all the babies of Israel by throwing, throwing them in a river. And what's the first plague that God hit them with? River of blood. I don't think these things are coincidences. I think that's how God feels about slaying the innocent, slaying children. But uh, nonetheless. So, those Israelites witnessed those ten plagues they experienced the Passover. Wouldn't you think that those Israelites, don't you, don't you think after seeing all that, seeing God, I mean, destroy Egypt, lick Egypt. I mean, can you imagine a country? They were talking about Egypt decades later, hundreds of years later, the destruction of Egypt. Can you imagine experiencing that? Those Israelites experiencing that. God delivering them from Egypt, yet before they crossed the Red Sea, and then they started complaining and said, we told you we should have never left. (laughs) Where is the great belief in these people? Where is the righteousness? Where is it at? The only difference between the Israelite and the Egyptian is that the Israelites were God's elect and as far as this picture here now, and the Egyptians were not. It's a picture for us. Right. Do you know the only difference between you and a non-elect? The difference that God put there. The difference that God puts there. Amen. You being chosen in Christ and the non-elect not. How would you like to go through this life without the uh, ninefold fruit of the Spirit? Can you imagine 
without love, without joy, without peace, without long-suffering, without meekness, gentleness, goodness, faith. I didn't list them in order, but nonetheless, how would you like to live a life like that? You've got a lot to be thankful for, more than you can even comprehend, more than I can even grasp. Romans 8 and verse 28. Let's just read a little bit. Hard sayings. I got away from that. I wasn't trying to. In John chapter 6 and 37 uh, through 40, uh, Jesus Christ told some hard sayings to those people. Okay? How about we we read that? John 6 verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing but should raise him again at the last day. That's a, that's a soft saying to me. That's something I want to sleep on. That's something I, I, mean, I want to live in, okay? Amen. But how did the people take that back then? How did they receive these sayings from Jesus Christ? In verse 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. All right. Goes through uh, uh, the living bread. We'll just, we'll just keep on going here. Verse 60, John 6 and verse 60. Many there, therefore of his disciples, when they had heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? Mm-hmm. When you talk about election, that's almost 99% of the time the thing you're going to get back. That's a hard saying. God choosing one and not choosing another. But to me, you just have to keep in perspective we're talking about God here. All right? When you say that that is not fair or that's I don't like that, what you're saying is I'm God. My judgment is above His judgment. What did the devil tempt uh, Adam and Eve with? You shall be as gods. Isn't that right? Your judgment is better than His judgment. And they fell for it. And people fall for it all the time. This is an hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in Himself that His disciples murmured at it, He said unto them, His disciples murmured at it. He said unto them, Doth this offend you? What and if ye shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It is the Spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it were given unto him of my Father. That's not a popular saying, but it's the truth if I'm standing here today. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. They didn't like it back then. They didn't like it straight from the mouth of Jesus Christ. But it's the truth, nonetheless. It doesn't matter. It it, it doesn't matter how we feel, think, or say. If it's the truth, if God says it, it's so. But our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. It's like God destroying the earth with a flood. He destroyed men, women, and children in that flood. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say it was just a handful either. I think it was millions and millions, if not hundreds of millions of people. Hundreds and hundreds. He's God. He said that He's going to destroy the earth with the flood, and He did. And the only one He warned about it was Noah. That's His business. He can do whatever He wants to. What about Him destroying Egypt and slaying the firstborn? How do you feel about that? Easy. <laughs> That's what I have to say in all these situations. You know, so many people try to skirt around and try to hide from God's judgments and and don't like to talk about what God has done, okay, because they're afraid it might offend other people. Well, the only judgment that matters is God's judgment. Ours don't mean nothing. I'm not the judge. God is the judge. His word is law, not mine. Did God ask you how you feel about a certain thing? <laughs> Who does He ask that to? That's right. Did He consult Noah? Noah, is, if it be alright with thee, I, I shall destroy the earth with the flood? No. He didn't do it. 
He said he would destroy the earth with a flood, and guess what he did? He destroyed the earth with a flood. And he didn't need any advice. He didn't need clearance. And I'm not trying to just focus on the severity of God, but I hope uh, uh, we remember that He is God. Okay? He hath done whatsoever He hath pleased. Okay? All right. We know that all things work together for good. Romans 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to His purpose. His purpose. Not mine, not yours, uh, not a preacher's. His purpose. Okay? For whom He did foreknow. When that says foreknow, I believe that means before knew in an intimate uh, bond, so to speak. Love. Can I say that? Yeah. He foreloved. That's right. First Peter, uh, uh, I think, uh, Peter chapter 1 and verse 2, elect according to the foreknowledge of God our Father. Okay? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Not foreknown according to the election of God the Father. You catch that? Right. Elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God our Father, excuse me. That's the motivation. Love. For whom He did foreknow, He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn uh, among many brethren. I'm not going to go through every single one of these. uh, I can't do that. Uh, (laughs) uh, One time... uh, uh, Went to church and I thought I had uh, I thought I'd found eight great things out of Job. I was going to hit all eight things, okay? And guess how many I ended up hitting? Zero. You can't. I, I can't operate that way. Maybe maybe somebody else can. I can't operate it. <laughs> to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He did predestinate, them He also called, and whom He called, them He also justified, and whom He justified, them He also glorified. What was the beginning of all these things? The foreknowledge. The foreknowledge. The foreknowledge. Ephesians 1 and verse 4, according as He hath chosen us in Him. There's step one. There's your foundation. From there, it goes on to predestination. Okay? It is the foundation of sound doctrine. You can't get away from it because it's the first step. You take the first step in the wrong direction, it doesn't matter what you do the rest of the way. Okay? If you're facing south and you need to go north, you're in trouble. Some other words you can call the elect, you can call the the elect the predestinated. You can't call the non elect the predestinated. You can call the elect the predestinated. You can call the elect the called. You can call them the justified. You can call them the glorified. You can call them the foreknown. You can call them the redeemed. You can call them the saved. You can call them the ransomed uh, church of God. You can call them the purchased possession. You can call them the redeemed. You can call them every good thing. That's all talking about the elect. Okay? The sanctified, the liberated, the freed, the pardoned. That's the elect. What shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? The these things and the all things are the same things. All right? right. These things are talking about the all things in verse 28. Amen. They're the same things. If God be for us, who can be against us? I love that, you know, when Paul, when he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this down, you know he was just jumping with joy when he got there. Oh, yeah. Amen. After he considered these great purposes of God, starting with election, going to predestination, through calling, through, justifi- through justification, uh, to glorification. Once he got done with that, he said, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen. You know he was rejoicing when he wrote those words. Yeah. Yeah. Who can be against us? And that us is the elect too. That's right. That's right. <laughs> he that spared not his own son, but l- delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with Him also freely give us all things. 
There's four hard questions that if you don't believe in election, you've got to answer here in Romans chapter 8. There's four tough questions. The first one is, if God be for us, who can be against us? All right? The second one is, he that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? The third, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? Who's going to? He's the judge. He's the judge and the justifier. <laughs> pretty good. Uh, pretty good. Uh, it's a great God that we have. Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. We'll just keep going here. The next part I want to get to. Paul, after considering these things, he next says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? There's question number four. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? When you, when you consider election, when you consider the purposes of God, when you consider all these things, he asked the question. You can tell he just said, what could happen? Who can separate us from the love of Christ? It's all him. He carries his purpose out. It's all of him. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or, or, or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted sheep for the slaughter. This verse 37 is something I want to hit real quick. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. More, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Would it be a stretch to say that a conqueror possesses the gate of his enemies? Conquerors possess gates. If you lived back then and you had a walled city and you looked up and the enemy was upon the gatehouse, you're in trouble. He has whooped you. You are defeated. Whoever owned the gatehouse owned the city. All right? What did that say in uh, Genesis 24, verse 60? And thy seed shall possess the gates of those which do hate them. You possess the gates of your enemies. I'm not talking about these temporal enemies we have or perceived being. I'm talking about death. That's an enemy of yours that you had zero power over. Death had all the power over you. What about him that had the power of death? The devil. Anybody in here more powerful than the devil? I don't think so. (laughs) I don't think so. What about hell? Revelation, I think, 1 and verse 18. Who holds the keys to death and hell? Jesus Christ does. And because He holds the keys, He possesses the gate. He can open or close it whenever He wants to. And if He has conquered that gate, guess what? You have. You are more than a conqueror through Him that loved us. You are. What about the world? There's another one. Be of good cheer, for I have overcome the world. There's another enemy of yours that uh, I don't think it'd be a stretch to say everybody in here has gotten whooped by the world before, I think. I know that I have. More than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. In Christ Jesus. That in Ephesians 1, uh, chapter 1 and verse 4, if you weren't in Christ, look, write down all the things you wouldn't have. Look at all the things that are in Christ. Redemption. Salvation. Go down. Uh, let's just read that real quick. Now fix this stop. Who hath blessed us, uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. In Christ. How do you get in Christ? You just hop in or make a decision? No, you get chosen. You get chosen. You get elected, chosen in Him. According as He hath chosen us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before Him in love. What is the purpose of election? The purpose of of election is that the elect should be holy and without blame before Him in love. You don't have election, you're not holy and without blame before Him. You are guilty and wicked, forsaken by Him. You're the complete opposite of that verse. 
And then from there on, he goes to having predestinated. But the one thing you'll hear sometimes about, uh, uh, just stay right there in Ephesians, but the one thing you'll hear sometimes about election is that God looked down through time and saw who would come to him in faith, whatever the case may be. That's not election, okay? That, that's just works. That's another word for works. But I will say that God, he did look down, didn't he? No. <laughs> he did look down upon the children of men. It's not like he was up there with his eyes closed. He saw what was going on. He saw what would happen. In Psalms 14, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God, they are corrupt. They have done abominable works. There is none that doeth good. None. If election is based off of some work of our own, then everybody's going to hell. Period. Uh, Enjoy the cool weather we're having today. (laughs) If there's no such thing as election. But I believe there is, so we got a lot better weather coming. They have done abominable works. There is none that do with good. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. They are all gone aside. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. Not one. I hope that our election is not based off of what we do or we are in a heap of trouble. But it's not. They are corrupt. Did you corrupt yourself the first time you said a cuss word? Or the first time you told a lie? Or the first time you disobeyed your parents? Is that what corrupted you? No. (laughs) Your corruption was out of your hands. Your works prove your corruption. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. And in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity. What does that what what does that mean? Shapen in iniquity. I believe that you were shapen in iniquity, just as David was shapen in iniquity in the loins of his father. And David's father was shapen in iniquity in the loins of his father. And you can just ride that all the way back to Adam. That's when the corruption occurred. That's why we are corrupt by nature. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. That's when you were made a sinner. You were a sinner back there in Adam. Way on back there. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. Not, not by the obedience of two or by the obedience of thousands of millions. No but by the obedience of one, and that is Jesus Christ. By His obedience. Not by mine, not by yours, not by the thousands of millions. I'm going to end with just a little uh, illustration I have of election, and we'll just stop. Um. I don't know if I said this when I was over here or not, but anyway, we can, we can hear it again. But uh, uh, I like firearms. I like collecting rifles. I don't collect a lot of rifles, but I like shooting guns. Uh, I like uh, 223s. I like uh, six and a half Creedmoors. I like 30-06s. I like shooting pistols. You know, I just, if I was super wealthy, I'd probably have the biggest gun collection you've ever seen. I just, something about guns. Love to shoot them, clean them, look at them, hold them, whatever the case may be. Uh, and I don't have I don't have a bunch of guns. I don't. But uh, uh, I've got a nice thirty uh, six uh, that I really like. I've got a six and a half Creedmoor that I don't like so much, but it shoots a long ways. And uh, I've got some other not really expensive, but uh, more expensive to me guns. But the one gun that I love the most, I guess you could say, for this analogy, I have got a uh, double barrel shotgun uh, that probably came out of Sears catalog in the 1800s, late 1800s. This double barrel shotgun, uh, 
the end of the barrel is bent. I can imagine why. I know that this gun has uh, uh, wounded at least two people that I know of. <laughs> Not me, but the man that had bought it. Uh, it has got termite damage in the butt. It is just, termites got in the thing, it's just taped up, taped up. The left, uh, uh, the left hammer won't hit the firing pin. All you've got is a right barrel. You ain't got two, you just got the right one. <laughs> okay, it's beat up, it is old, uh, not very effective, and I'm a little bit afraid to, to shoot it, personally. Versus some of the other ones I have. I'm afraid to shoot that one. Because I'm afraid with the termite damage and stuff, you get a kick and who knows, that whole butt may just collapse the way that it is. But do you know which gun is worth the most to me? Out of all these guns that do that perform way better, way superior than that old, uh, that old piece of junk. You want to know why that gun means the most to me? Because that gun was my uh, great-great-grandfather shotgun. And guess what? He gave that to, his, to my great-grandfather, who gave it to my grandfather, who gave it to me. The value in that gun is not performance. It's not uh, uh, anything about it. There, there, it's not the prettiest. It doesn't perform the best. It's ugly. The value of that gun is who owns it. Who owned it and who gave it to me. That's the value of that gun. Mm -hmm. Your value is in who owns you. Amen. Not in performance. Not in uh, uh, prettiness or uh, durability or capability. Not of works. Your value, the elect's value, is who owns them. Okay? Amen. Uh, thank y'all. Well, election is foundational. It is uh, often vilified in the broader world of Christianity, but I have, uh, having encountered a lot of people, Christian people over the years, and had a lot of discussions with people of different denominations and whatnot, um, and when I run into people who want to oppose the simple notion of election that um, Brother Luke just put before you. One of the things I do, and I had a friend that I did this with, as I said, just take your Bible, read the Bible. Just start reading in the Bible. And every time you come to a mention of God choosing or God electing or God selecting and He's got a people and all these different terms that are in there just underline it maybe put a little check in this in the side margin and i believe that a sincere seeking christian who has a sober reading of the bible will come to the conclusion that what we're teaching about election is true right. mm -hmm. i mean and i'll never forget this this brother called me up i bought him one of these one year bibles you know and and so it kind of arranges the Bible in a way so that you, in a year, if you just read the section that's for that day of the week, you know, or the, that day of the year, you'll get through the Bible in a year. And it was probably maybe in about February that he called me and he said, well, I'm pretty much done already, you know, in terms of the, you know, finding all these places where it's talking about election and, and the sovereignty of God in these things. And um, I really think the biggest opponent in many respects, there's an aspect of the carnal mind that opposes election. The natural man wants to thinks to be meritorious, wants to think that he's capable of earning God's favor. That's in play, but I also think a lot of times it's just people being ignorant of the Christian faith in terms of ignorance of the Bible. And if you just will honestly read the Bible, don't come to it with any preconceived notions. Just go read what the Bible says and look at the terms like election and what is said about it. And it's going to paint you into a corner theologically where you just don't have anywhere to go with it. Mm -hmm. At that point, you either say, I believe what the Word of God says about this. God is who He says He is. Or I'm just going to kind of invent my own religion out there and come up with a new set of rules. So election is often vilified. The natural man wants to say it's not fair. That's the common thing. But I suggest to you that when you encounter that, when people think that, 
What they're really suggesting is based upon a hopelessly optimistic view of man's capability. They think it's unfair because they really think every man is capable of deciding to choose to follow God. That's really the basis of it. But that's not true. The fact of the matter is, without election, no one's getting saved. And election is so good. God is so good. Election is so good and so thorough that even those who are hung up on election in that they can't receive it, they can't really understand and believe that it's as real as what it says it is, those people are nevertheless someday going to be caught up by election. And on that day, as they meet the Lord in the air, they're not going to have a problem with this. You see, a lot of God's people don't understand as much about what the Word of God says as they're capable of understanding or as the Word of God puts in front of us. But none of that matters because God chose a people. He's a good shepherd. He doesn't lose sheep. So whether those people come to a full understanding, there's a blessing you can have in this lifetime by embracing that truth. There's a solidity in knowing those things. You made mention of the idea that God had to choose us out of what we are, which is this fallen group of people. And a lot of people vilify election on the basis of saying, well, you just think you're so much better than everybody else. Right? You hear that one? You think you're so much better. You think you're so good that God chose you. No, that's not election. That's a distortion of the doctrine of election because Paul says, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You're walking just like everybody else. According to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, that was where you were. You're right in there with everybody else. You didn't do anything to extract yourself. That's just where you were. Among whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Apart from election, everyone is by nature a child of wrath and deserving of God's wrath, and it's election and God's mercy that extracts people from that. And those are God's elect. If you understand that truth, you realize and you just have to step back in glory in how amazing it is that God would save a people who were abjectly wicked and by nature children of wrath, even as others. Thank you for listening to SuccessfulSavior.org, the ministry of Harmony Primitive Baptist Church. Come and join us as we worship God in the simplicity of Christ every Sunday morning at 416 North Hall Street in Donaldson, Arkansas. At Harmony, We don't have many things you'll find in the popular churches of our day, but we do have a successful Savior. We invite you to come and see.